Are you ready, ladies? Stand tall. Straighten those crowns and show them what you're made of. You're listening to the Farm Queen Podcast. This week on the Farm Queen podcast, we have Mary Ellen joining us. Our last queen, Monika, nominated Mary Ellen, and it is abundantly clear why she was nominated. Mary Ellen runs a large produce farm. She works for Cornell as a agriculture and horticulture resource educator, which is mouthful. And she is definitely very attuned to climate. And I mean climate both in the sense of farm business climate, as well as weather climate. She works to improve her operation, both in light of the weather, as well as to set the example of helping farms make other meaningful connections and network and grow their own businesses. And it is clear that this is what makes her a farm queen. So let's get to know her. Mary Ellen, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) If you would please take a few minutes, introduce yourself, tell us your farm name, where you are, what you do, how long you've been at it, day in the life, that kind of good stuff for us. Okay. Um, Well, my name is Mary Ellen and our farm name is Heartwood Farm. And we are up uh, outside of maybe a half an hour outside of Syracuse on the escarpment, kind of overlooking the Lake Plain. And we do mostly vegetable production. Uh, Until this past year, we had about 200 CSA members and we're growing about somewhere like six and a half acres in vegetables. And we had a lot in like cover crops. And at different points we've done, you know, laying hens, um, some pork, uh, odds and ends of different things. And so we're kind of in a transition year here or taking a step back year where we're focusing on wholesale markets, like small scale and a farmer's market this year. But we're really, we're taking a sabbatical from our CSA and kind of reevaluating like what's the need in our food system, what fits well with our farm, what fits well with us and our family life. So we're kind of through a lot of things on the table this year and are, are seeing what we like to do again, you know, maybe as a, I don't know, maybe a midlife farm crisis <laughs> sort of thing. So um, we've been here since 2012. We were four years in the Hudson Valley working on farms there. And then we were four years in New Hampshire uh, working with a the farm there. And then before that, I started farming in 1998. So I worked on farms for a few years before started running my own on leased land. And I mostly, when I got started in farming, was more interested in, you know, mixed animal vegetable production. And the longer I did it, the more it seemed easier to focus on one thing. So vegetables are really kind of my passion for farming. That being said, as I get older, um, we don't have kids. uh, So we've been kind of looking at like, you know, what, what kind of, world you help create that lives on beyond you and doing a lot more tree plantings and perennials and just kind of exploring like things that early in our career we didn't have the time and energy or money to do you know putting in bigger plantings of longer term things so just been farming for a while but now kind of reevaluating all these paths that we didn't take 10 or 15 years ago that are maybe more of an option now does that make sense (laughs) Absolutely. No. And I, I love how you said that, um, you know, you joke and you call it like a a mid farm life crisis, but I think that's a great point to focus on, um, 
you know, don't do everything, do what, do what best suits you. And I love the other thing you said that I want to pull out when you talked about, you don't have kids. And so you focus on, you said, what kind of world do you help create that lives on beyond you? And I just, that's a quote right there (laughs) worth, worth saying again. So you have more time when you don't have kids, but then it's so easy to get on farming, get caught up in the day to day and not take that step back. And so I feel like when you have kids, you're kind of forced when they're little and they're wanting to do, you know, fun things after school and sports and stuff, you're like forced to make, have those discussions and think about that. And we somehow, we escaped that. And so now it's like, oh, this is what all of our friends went through six years ago. (laughs) Yeah, I hear, I hear that. I'm definitely in the throes of working the farm around the kids. And Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a challenge that I gotta be honest, I didn't see it coming. (laughs) I did not see this challenge coming quite like it is, but yeah, I don't know how anyone does it. (laughs) No, it's, I, I don't do it most days myself. It's, it's a mess, but not me. It's, we're here to hear about you. So tell us, um, you said you've been at your current, we'll call it farm location since 2012, but you've been start, you started farming quite some time before that. So what is it that actually got you yourself into farming in the first place? Um, well, I guess I always liked being outside. So I didn't kind of think that was going to be a career, but I did lots of work like in high school. You know, I did lots of 4-H and we lived in the country in Indiana. So we had gardens and plants, uh, which I did not like that much, but we also had horses. So I did a lot of horsey sort of stuff. And I worked um, for a few years as an estate manager in the UP of Michigan. And so I got to, you know, ride the horse around, but also maintain all the perennials and the plantings and stuff. And I really liked you know, getting to look at a landscape and interact with it and make changes and install stuff. I just found really satisfying work. Um, So I actually have a degree in international relations um, and my focus was on like conflict resolution. And so I was really interested in going into like the state department or something, but I actually graduated during the whole like Clinton Lewinsky scandal. And it was really (laughs) off-putting to me and a number of my friends in the same field you know, just kind of, you know, that government's not going to be perfect or whatever, but then it's like, uh, maybe I won't do this, you know, go and become a congressional intern right away. And so I was kind of looking at like other alternatives and I went to a Catholic school. So they really pushed, you know, taking a year or two after school to volunteer if you could. And they had like this big magazine and there was a one sentence description on this about this farm in Western Massachusetts called Gould Farm. And I read that description. I'm like, well, I'm going to go there. And I think I interviewed like a day or two later, and this was like three or four weeks before I graduated. And I got on a bus the day after graduation with like a one-way ticket because it just like, (laughs) I saw the sentence was like, I'm going to do this. And I really loved it. It's one of the oldest treatment facilities for adults with mental illness in the country. And so rather than doing like your standard, you know, mental health treatment, which they do do, but it was really focused on like how farm work can be like part of like holistic living and healing. Um, just to, you know, restructure your life, like have that schedule where you get up and you do work and you're creating like food that people are going to eat and you're helping milk cows and you're going to make milk, you know, turn that into cheese and ice cream. And so everybody that works there and volunteers there and is a patient, you know, is all living in community. And I joke that like the first meal that I had there was literally the best food I've ever eaten in my life. And it was just like a casual, like midweek meal. I think I ate probably half a pound of butter and just like kept eating and eating and eating and was like, well, this is obviously what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. 
and so like I've never not wanted to farm since that moment. <laughs> that is so cool. How has that affected you um, as far as like along your journey in farming, how you mentioned like that, that sounds like an incredible place to be. It you was. mentioned that they, they focus on like healing, how farming can be part of like a healing thing and holistic living. How has that kind of shaped who you've become as a farmer? I think it's just always like, I mean, I, I, I view farming now very much like as a business. Um, but then at the same time, like having started farming in a situation where it was, it was more than business. It was like a healing, it's being out in nature. It's having work that gives you something you can focus on and create despite like all the crap that might be happening, you know, inside or in the rest of your life. And so I feel like it took, like, it was a nice, sometimes with farming, there's all this pressure, like the pressure to pay the bills and the pressure you know, to get stuff done. And there wasn't that pressure there because it was supposed to be about healing, not about production. And I feel like it was a really safe, like, I guess a safe place to learn farming. Like I got to do things there that I would never let somebody do on my farm <laughs> their first couple of <laughs> years of working for me. I mean, in part for a safety perspective, but in part, just like, you know, we have to get the head, you know, if you have hay, you have to get it in. If you have a crop, you have to harvest it. Whereas there it was about like working as a team to do this thing. Um, so it really, it was just a different, it let me explore like the different aspects of farming without like putting a burden on it um, for a couple of years there. So, and I really liked it. And the other nice thing was, you know, you got to work with so many different people and really hear other people's stories and what brought them there. And a number of people that I was there with, you know, both who were, you know, staff and who were patients went on to have their own farms and still farm to this day. So you could kind of see it like percolating out through the community of those of us who really liked it, um, you know, trying to make it make some connection to the rest of our lives. That's very cool. Yeah, it's a cool place. If anyone's ever, if anyone's interested in like combining, you know, mental health and agriculture, I definitely recommend like that model is a really cool and unique place. Absolutely. Hearing you describe it, it sounds like, I guess, a model um, that as I'm hearing you say, like, you know, you don't have the same pressures of like the business, like the point of, of farming there is not to turn a profit. The point of farming there is to heal these people. And so mm -hmm. it makes me wonder, like, if everybody could have a, you know, all these people that are, oh, I'm going to go start a farm. I'm going to start and if you know, first generation farmers, what would what would all of our small farms look like if people had the opportunity to go to a place like that and learn in what I would call a much more low pressure environment and learning to not just do the techniques, but learning to do it in the sense of this makes you feel like I assume more at peace and more comfortable, more of, you know, who you're meant to be kind of thing. And yeah, man, I wonder too like? if that's something that like, you know, coming, growing up in the U.S., like not from an agricultural family, you know, I just wonder if that's how, if there was a bit more of that, you know, a few generations back or in different cultures, just more of that, like connecting with the land and connecting with the food, you know, is important. You know, it's, right. it's holding families together. It's, you know, where people can find peace and have we like lost that to the point to our detriment, you know, and folks we're all trying to reclaim that somehow. I mean, is that part of the story of American farming and gardening? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would agree with you on that one. Well, I was, I was going to ask, you know, you've had this 
I would call it ideal starting point into getting into farming of just kind of just wade your way into it and, and go as deep as you like. Um, how did that end up leading to you as the agriculture and horticulture research ed- resource educator with Cornell? So, Where did well, that come about? Yeah. <laughs> so after I, um, after I worked on Gould Farm, I actually worked overseas um, for like a year and a half. And when I came back, it was to work on this farm in New Hampshire. And so it was a, a farm that was di- like truly diversified. You know, they had, they were milking, they had various, like every species of animals. They did horse work, lots of forestry work we did. And then they did like a full diet kind of CSA. Um, mm. And I met my husband there. And at the same time, there was a property that that was bought by the community to keep as a general store in the community. And they had a really nice field, like New Hampshire is not known for its good soil, but this was like a three acre field of some of the best ag soil in the country that was deposited in this little tiny spot in New Hampshire. Oh, wow. Um, so I stayed there and started a market farm there um, doing like a collaborative CSA. So we were there for four years, um, but we kind of made this jump over to New York because it was right, it was before 2008. So it was just when like the prices kept going up and going up and going up. And even in New Hampshire, you know, we couldn't ever afford land. We were just really getting priced out. Um, so we just kept kind of figuring out what we were going to do. And at that same time, I realized like having not gone to school for science, like I didn't really have the scientific background to understand like, you know, chemical application or fertilizers or like botany, like I knew stuff hands-on. And so I kind of, I started to go back to school, like while we were beginning this process of looking for more land. Um, and that's where I really was focusing on, you know, getting skills to run a better business and getting this, you know, the science and soil science. And then also just, you know, looking down the road with climate change, like how, if we're starting as a new generate, you know, a first generation farm, in this time where we can expect a lot of turbulent change in the weather over the next 50 years and we grow a very weather sensitive crop like how do how do we and how do farmers like us manage to keep their production going with all that happening so we were both kind of looking for land and i was going to school and then that was the point where we decided to make the switch to come over here to new york just because there's a lot more land here and there was lots of in the hudson mm-hmm. valley lots of jobs we could take and just lots more opportunities here. Like New York is much more of a, of a farming state. So, and then my family, my mom's side of the family is from New York, um, but my family lives in the Midwest. So this was also kind of like midway between our two houses is kind of how we trundled our way over here. But um, after we started our farm up here in 2012, it was great, but then I've kind of been, you know, I get, you get older and stiffer and the ground keeps seeming to get farther away. And so we always <laughs> kind of knew like at some point I was gonna, my back was gonna age out of farming which was part of why I went to school. Like I had started off with back injuries. Um, and so when my local county extension this past year posted a job it was like literally like the dream mix of programs that I wanted to work on. And it was local in my county, you know, helping support the other farmers that I already, you know, knew from being nearby. So I just was really excited to take that job. So I do about 60% of my time working with um, like specialty crop producers and kind of general ag and horticulture. And then 
maybe 10% helping support like food system and marketing effort, and then 30% helping, you know, with environmental, natural resource, climate change stuff. So it's been really exciting, but I'm still kind of in that learning process of, you know, what's it like doing this work? How can I best support people? And then how do I step from being the main full-time farmer to the supportive like half-time, part-time farmer here in our operation? Yeah, that sounds like the perfect, uh perfect position to just like magically open up for you. Yeah. I think a lot of yeah. people are wishing they could just have that happen. <laughs> yeah. No, it was like, if I could write something that I wanted to do in life, I'm like, oh, this is exactly it. <laughs> so I think it kind of goes along with that. Um, you know, in terms of kind of reading your, your background on the Cornell website um, and kind of looking through your, your farm's website and everything, you have uh, what I would say is a pretty obvious interest in terms of like more towards like the weather, ecosystems, climate, that sort of thing. Um, one of the, I browsed through your blog and one of the articles that stood out was about um, discussing like the changes in intensity of the weather, these little like micro storms that come up and mentioning how you guys have been working on, um, you know, I'm going to call it reinforcing your, your infrastructure in terms of your greenhouses and all that kind of stuff, you know, there's a picture on there of the tomatoes that are all flooded out. I assume that's in the greenhouse, maybe not, but um, if you could, if you could tell us just a little bit more about where, um, I guess where that started for you. I mean, obviously you, you did this kind of science background and we're more interested in you know, getting some more of this science-related education in terms of farming. But as far as like, it seems like that's kind of really where your passion's kind of driven you now, as far as, um, you know, like I said, you're, you're pushing for reinforce your own stuff. And I, like, I, I can tell by the way you write the article that like, this is something that's like consuming for you. You know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like, it's like your brain just starts going. So tell us a little bit about that and why, like, why is it, you know, there's a lot of people out there in farming that they're like, well, it's really important that you, you know, manage your pastures, right? And they want the good quality and, you know, regenerative versus traditional ag methods. And there's a whole bunch of different, um, I'll call it areas or disciplines maybe within farming that people focus on. And you are perhaps one of the first people I've met who's really driven by kind of that climate and, and the changes in it and the intensity of it. So what is it that drew you that direction? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> um, I think maybe a couple things like I've always, so I studied a lot. This is like ages ago. Um, what I was very interested in how like we use, we use our environment and we use like the resources we have. Um, so I was always fascinated when I was focusing on Russia, you know, in undergrad, how we had these there they had these crazy big you know industrial cities like all kind of focused around one industry and would be mining there and kind of like just very intensive use land use patterns and then you know traveling and working in some countries in the middle east just kind of seeing that same thing of like how we just really impose you know certain patterns onto our land use and so as i started farming just like i feel like i've always been really interested in like you know, how are we setting up our fields? Like, and then what's the impact of doing that? Like, if you have your field lined up one direction versus the other direction, like, what are all those small kind of impacts that kind of add up? Um, and so just kind of like, I felt like I always kind of paid attention to that. Just, I don't know, as a kid, I always found those sort of patterns interesting. 
and then just as a limited resource first generation farmer. So we're kind of like bootstrapping everything. We don't have a ton of money for great infrastructure. We buy, you know, we bought a farm on crappy hill land. Like our soil's good, but it's not like it's not easy to farm. If it was, it would have cost a lot more money, you know. So we're always kind of like on the margins. So and we're growing really fussy, you know, finicky crops like vegetables are little prima donnas compared to field corn, I feel like. And so it's just like, I think that I kind of feel like vegetable farmers and fruit farmers are like the canaries in the coal mine. Like when conditions start getting marginal or more challenging, like are our crops showing issues now? And what kind of warnings can we give to other producers so that, you know, if you're growing field crops and you have neighbors that are vegetable farmers and they're starting to have problems and looking for solutions, like, are you able to think, okay, five or 10 years, I might be having these problems. Like, what can I institute on my farm now so that I have better profitability then? So kind of just like thinking about like how we're using land, how it's impacting things around us and like, what's that projection forward? So I was always, fascinated by like maybe I just like read Silent Spring like too young or something but just like you you make actions now and we don't know what our impacts are necessarily going to be because we're just like doing the best we can and so sometimes I just think on even on a micro scale of the farm like we definitely like put you know high value crops in certain fields and then watched when you get five inches of rain like oh well that's important to know that field is underwater and we just lost 30 grand in product you know, or we didn't put our row covers on when the storm came through and then we had, you know, five minutes of hail and we lost two thirds of our product and had to restart everything. So it's just like every action you choose to do or not, you know, what are the implications both personally, but then maybe longer term, like what happens. So I just find all of that. That's one of the things I most like about farming is how it's like infinitely complex and you can't really tear, tear out like what is causing what, and you have to kind of just like observe over many years for some things. Yeah, I just, I, I do worry about like the climate changing and more intense storms and weather. I just really worry about our viability as farmers. And here in the lush Northeast, it's like, we have so many resources and we have so much great water, but it's really hard for us to compete with farms in dry climates. They just don't have the pests and diseases that we have. So. Right now, like our balance sheets, okay, maybe farm in New York's not as profitable as a farm in California. And I worry that that, that those farms in New York are gonna go out of business. And then 10 years from now, maybe there's no water in California. And so those farms aren't competing and what's happened to the farm in New York? Like, is it houses now, you know, have those skills been lost? Has that family lost the capacity, you know? And I don't have any good answers to that. <laughs> No, I, I hear you completely. I mean, this, this past winter, I think has been a perfect example for those of us in New York listening to really kind of get the picture of exactly what you're talking about that, you know, I know like we've had, what was it? Six feet of snow and one storm in Buffalo. And I yeah. have family that they got the full six feet. Like they were not lying. It was insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and meanwhile, I'm in Rochester and we pretty much got like the equivalent of six feet of rain. You know, it wasn't actually yeah. that much, but you know, we pretty much like that storm that they got, I want to say we got like two inches of snow. So it was wildly yeah. different, but I've just had rain, 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 not just how does this affect my farm, but how does it affect the farming community in a much, much broader kind of area yeah. you know, nationwide or geographically or however that goes. But yeah, definitely yeah. has implications for 
more than just farmers too. Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that you eat, sleep and breathe what you do as, you know, a farm queen should. (laughs) How did it feel when you got the crown though this week? Oh, it's funny. I've been, I I was very thankful and honored by Monica. Um, It's been great having one of the things that's been nice this year, like is us having a bit more space in our greenhouse because we're not doing a CSA. And so it's been great having her come up um, with their crew. So it's like, we still get to feel part of like the larger farming community, you know, even though we're growing on a smaller amount. Um, Mm -hmm. No, so I was very honored and I appreciate that. (laughs) I love getting to work um, with all of the new farmers. That's been one thing that's really exciting to have the time that I'm not farming 100% of my time to get to meet, you know, all of these farmers, you know, some who have been farming in the area for generations and some who are new Americans and everything in between and just see like how people are incorporating, you know, their goals and their families and their, you know, plans onto the land. And that's been just like really exciting to get to be a little part of that for other farms. As a project in your future, working more with the smaller, the upstart farms and and kind of getting them going? Yeah, no, definitely. I, I feel like trying to balance that because I want to help new farmers get going, but then also, you know, how how can we help, you know, support existing farmers as they, you know, have new enterprises mm-hmm. or make changes on their land, you know, or, or look forward to where their farm's going for the next generation. And I feel like having this diversity of farms, like upscales and crops um, and interests and, you know, and how they're set up and business management is really important. Like I'm a big fan of like diversity on every level, <laughs> like in ecosystems, but also in like our farming communities and how can we build and support, you know, new ventures and new ways of doing things. Right. Right. So I do want to shift into that um, just a little bit, because obviously new farmers is a very broad group and you have, you know, been a new farmer yourself and now you're, you know, an old hat at farming. I'm not saying you're old, but like you've been at this long enough that you're like, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's old news, as they say. So specifically, um, specifically for women in farming, since obviously mm-hmm. we're, you know, farm queens, it's a certain group. <laughs> what is it that you've come across that you feel like is a misconception or a struggle that you see often, specifically for women in agriculture? Yeah. Um, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like there are a couple of them. I was trying to think of this in advance. Like, I think one of the first ones is that there aren't women in agriculture, because I think there are a lot more women doing farming, um, than people might think initially. So I do wonder if women are like, well, it's not a field for me and aren't really understanding like the breadth of women that are really excited about ag, um, and active in farming. So definitely don't let that hold you back. I think too, like, I mean, I'm kind of like a big hefty person. So like lifting heavy things has never been my problem, um, even with a bad back. But like, you know, when you're farming, it's a lot about like farming smart. Like we've both reached the age where like, we don't want to bend down for anything more than we have to. We don't want to lift anything more than we have to. And there's really a lot of infrastructure that you can set up and systems you can set up so that you're not having to haul around like a 90 pound bin of cucumbers. Like we size everything into 30 pound bins and stuff. So I, I feel too like the, you know, you have to be really strong to be a farmer. I mean, it helps to have like healthy 
you know, and be able to pick stuff up. But I think that you can do it even if you're a smaller person um, or can't lift as much. I'm all about farming smart. And I think even if you're like a big hefty guy, you should be farming smart so that you're not throwing your back out either. Um, right. But like, I feel like over when I started farming in 98 to now, I feel like there's definitely like been a huge influx of women in farming. And I feel like in the late nineties, early two thousands, like, I mean, to this day, probably new farmers, women, or even with men, maybe outnumbering men, um, especially in our field in vegetables. I feel like for every one man we hire, we probably have hired 10 women. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's def definitely like, I really enjoy that. It seems like there's a lot of, and maybe it's because as a gender, we felt like held out of farming in the past. And now it seems like a field that's more open to more people. Um, and I hope that that's part of, you know, I hope farming here in rural New York, we have like a lot more women farming than there were when I started in like rural New Hampshire. And so hope, I'm hoping that that like diversity of gender in farming leads to making it more comfortable for like diversity, like in skin color and backgrounds and that we can really help make mm -hmm. it so that the economics and the social and cultural and everything works to get, you know, people who want to come and farm somehow involved in farming in the food system um, and making it work across the country. So, but yeah, definitely. Right, yeah. I, think, I think a lot of women are realizing like farming can be a viable field and career. I would ask the question, um, and I think we've brought this up with some other queens of, I wonder whether it's that old fashioned, you know, the women are supposed to take care of the kids. And like you said, you're obviously not in that same particular bunch of shoes. Um, but I, I do question how much that might affect, you know, oh, well, I can't go do, you know, the livestock. I can't go do, you know, milking at six in the morning because somebody needs to be with the kids when they're waking up and get them breakfast. And, yeah. you know, it has, it has hard, hard stereotypically always been mom makes breakfast. The man goes and does the chores, you know, mm -hmm. takes care of the farm, gets it going for the day. And so I, I would question how much that has, has played into that, but yeah, I would, I would maybe make the argument that you know, studies say that women are better at multitasking. So I wonder <laughs> if maybe we have more women coming into this because we're starting to kind of have this research and, and get these opinions of like, well, women are good at multitasking. And like you're saying, there's so many different facets to farming and so many different angles to keep track of. And I, I wonder if maybe we're just, you know, wink, wink, yeah. more well-equipped to handle <laughs> the multiple pieces of it. Yeah. But I wonder too- still Oh yeah. No, I just was saying, I wonder how I've had some conversations with farmers around here um, about like women in farming and like some of them stick out to me, including one of our neighbors who has a daughter taking over. Um, and I asked him about that once and he's like, well, it's most important that the land's farmed. I don't care who takes it over. And I do feel like that's become more of a culture. Like you want your kid who's like passionate about it to take it on. And that might be your daughter. Um, but I think too, one thing I've really noticed in New York is I feel like people really appreciate, even if their um, wives aren't helping on the farm per se, that there's a lot of behind the scenes farm work that gets done by women, um, be mm -hmm. it keeping the books or managing social media or managing websites or handling sales. And I feel like 
in a state like New York, I really hear a lot of appreciation from the farmers for their wives and for their daughters who are doing a lot of that work even. And so I kind of want to reclaim, I feel, feel like people should reclaim like, oh, I'm not just the farm wife, but like, you're also an active partner in the farm. You know, you're the one that's doing a lot of the important stuff that keeps the business going. So I wonder if you start to count women who, and even I've been noticing since I've been working full-time off the farm that me saying, oh, I'm not really doing any farming. And yet I'm working like 30 hours a week in the farm. Like I'm clearly farming, but (laughs) it's just so enculturated that I'm like, oh, I'm just, you know, helping here and there. (laughs) So maybe there's a lot more of us in that situation where we should be stepping up (laughs) and talking about it more. (laughs) I think, yeah, no, I think that's an excellent point because when you say like, even if the quote unquote farm life, you know, only does the books, only manages the social media or the website, (laughs) only manages customers and sales. It's like, take that one, take that one farm wife, take that one woman out and the business would crumble because it's great that the animals are fed or the crops are growing or whatever. But if you can't get them from the farm to the consumer's hands, if that middle piece is gone, then Mm -hmm. good luck, you know, especially on some of those farms where, you know, who cares who's running the farm, whoever the quote unquote farmer is, it's the husband or whatever. If he's out there working the farm for you know, 10, 12 hours a day, he's not going to have the time, the energy, the ambition to do the other part of it because, you know, he's still going to have to feed himself. And, you know, so yeah, that's, that's a great point that I think a lot more women do need to think of themselves as not just a helper on the farm, but as an equal player in the farm, if not the, like the hinge pin on the farm. Yeah. Sure. Like you're a team, you know, on the farm Mm -hmm. and it's just some some faces of that team are maybe up front more than others. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll ask you the, the personal question a little bit. Um, <laughs> you sound like you've had quite the road getting to where you are. You've mentioned that, you know, you're at your mid-farm crisis, whatever that may be causing it. Um, you know, you've mentioned like you're back and just getting, you know, everybody's going to age out eventually. So given some of these hardships and these struggles that have come along, what is it that has still kept you going in spite of that? Oh, I think there's a lot. And I don't feel like I'm like, I'm not struggling with it. I feel like really happy about like the stepping back. I think of it more as like maybe a stepping forward. Um, But I think what keeps us going on, going along is we've actually really enjoyed the space that this year is giving us so far to just kind of think about like, what would be best on this land? Like, what are things that we can do here? You know, what are there opportunities we can help somebody else in their path towards farming? Are there different places we can be active in our Mm. food system and stuff? So I feel like it's more like an opportunity thing, like by pruning off some obligations that really took up, you know, 70 or 80 hours a week, we now have this opportunity. So um, I'm really interested in growing like more perennial plant material and just kind of you know, installing rather than just putting, you know, as laying out big fields on our farm that we're doing, you know, vegetable, 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 like, you know, are there wet areas that maybe would be nicer to mix up some of the crops? Maybe we put in like, try some like elderberries and stuff, or maybe um, my husband really likes, you know, providing bird habitat. So he's been looking at like, you know, putting in more oaks. We're kind of looking at like, what's going to grow well here in 20 years, 30 years, 
you know, so getting like oaks and some tree material from Pennsylvania and just kind of like enjoying our land a little bit more and buying that time to think about like, where are, like, what's our next big adventure? <laughs> you know, is it starting like a plant nursery um, or something like that? Is it, you know, renting land? You know, if we're not using, I think we have like 10 or 12 vegetable acres that we're not using this year, you know, is, you know, do we rent it out to somebody for low cost and they can explore farming or something? There's just all sorts of options that we're kind of thinking about or having that time to think about. So I think of it more as an opportunity than like a, a struggle at all. You know, that's really interesting that you, you kind of equated that to pruning. Yes. And oh yeah. <laughs> as soon as, as soon as you had, as soon as you said that my, my head was like, that's a, that's such a great point because you know, whatever, whether it's, I would call you guys, it sounds like something of an elective pruning of what you're doing on your yeah. farm. But, you know, we've heard from Queens that had a barn fire, which is obviously not elective, you know, yeah. to have that like huge cut into what you're doing, a huge loss. Mm. And I think that, that to, equating it to pruning is a really, just a really creative um, and, and great way to look at it that, you know, it's the same as in obviously your fruits and vegetables, you would know as you prune you know, an apple tree yeah. to keep it in production, you know, something as simple as they tell you, if you're growing tomatoes, prune off the little sucker branches so that the plant can focus on what it produces. And it's just, that was as soon as you said that I was like, oh, what a great way to look at it because yeah. <laughs> it's not a hardship. It's just a pruning and whether you chose it or not, sometimes that happens and pruning is sometimes what's needed. And in terms of, you know, if you prune it properly, it comes out better, you know, afterwards. Yeah. So <laughs> like, but. I, sometimes it's this speaking as a farmer and a woman farmer is I feel like sometimes we have to be so stubborn, like to do your each day, you know, like each day is like got so much stuff on and you're like in that, I never quit. I never quit. I never quit sort of phase. Mm -hmm. And then for us, like taking this and it's for both of us. Cause my husband too is very like, yeah, we've got this, like taking that intentional step back and thinking like, I actually read this really great book this fall by Annie Duke called Quit. And she writes a lot of books about decision-making, but that one was like really powerful to me because when we announced this, we actually, I did get some pushback from people that wasn't necessarily nice. Um, and it, it hurt me, but then I was like, you know, I read that shortly thereafter. And I was like, every time you decide to do something or not decide to do something, like if you don't stop doing something, you've decided to not stop doing it. And so right. you never open up, like you don't ever do that pruning. You never open up the airflow or more opportunities or anything. And that like people who are really, you know, successful at poker, cause she's writing about poker quit a lot. Like they're constantly like pruning, like to a single, you know, leader, they're always like cutting out things. And so it kind of is like, it's refreshing to have somebody kind of give you the permission to be like, oh yeah, this is a legitimate way to look at it. <laughs> no, absolutely. I wrote that book down. I got to read that one. It sounds really yeah, interesting. It's a, it's a great book. Even if you don't quit, it's kind of like, it's a really good, I feel like it's very pertinent to being a farm woman <laughs> too, because I think we're just sometimes, I feel like I'm more stubborn than smart sometimes. <laughs> I think Farm women have learned that we kind of sometimes need to have that stubborn streak in order to, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of get where we want to go. So I personally don't think being stubborn is a bad thing. It's just oh, no. a skill we all <laughs> need to sharpen appropriately. So, yes, <laughs> I agree. So 
where can people follow you? And where can they learn from you? Where can they eagerly await on the edge of their seats to see what comes from your elective pruning this season? <laughs> um, well, if you're in the central New York area, you can always find us at the Casanova Farmers Market. That's one of our main market outlets. Um, and um, or at the farm, we're going to have some farm events this summer and we're doing a small uh, flower you pick. So we'll have a little bit of stuff going on this summer. Um, on social media, we're most active on Instagram, although I think it ports it all over to Facebook. And those are both at Hartwood Farm and it's Hartwood, H-A-R-T, like the deer, not mm -hmm. like the body organ. <laughs> and then we're at, we have a website at hartwoodfarm.com. So I... I got to add something here. I completely missed the UPIC event. Could you tell us a little more about that? And Oh yeah. So we are keeping a small, it's kind of a trial year. So we've, we've had our CSA and we've included a free UPIC garden as part of the CSA. So as we were stopping, putting the CSA on pause, we're going to open up, keep the UPIC part going just because we want to stay in touch with folks. And we know that that was really important to people's days. So we'll have that. Um, we're giving CSA members first dibs on it, but just kind of exploring, you know, if the small you pick flowers is something that, you know, folks are interested in here or not. Um, so that's kind of one of the, one of the branches we're letting go this year and seeing how that works. Very cool. And Very ultimately, cool. can I do a plug for, um, if you're interested in learning about farming, you know, working with Co Cornell Cooperative Extension um, in Madison County or, you know, any county across the state or in the country, the Cooperative Extension does some really great programming. Um, and so I really enjoyed getting to have like the time and the space to like help create programming there. So you can find me locally um, in that, or you can find in your county, probably some great stuff happening too. Yes, of course you can plug that because the more people <laughs> that farm, the better in my opinion. Yes. But um, yeah, I think, I think that's so cool that you guys are doing the UPIC flowers. I don't know how I missed yeah. that. Like I, I looked at your website and I, I must We've have just been keeping been, it on the down low till we like fully launch it. Yeah, so. might be why. Okay. Yeah. yeah one I, of the things I, that we've been pruning back is being as active online as we were. Um, mm, just yeah. so such a busy space. <laughs> it really is. It is a time sink for sure. So the last thing that I, I know everybody waits for us to leave them with is what is it that you would like to say to whoever's listening, whether it's words of encouragement to whoever hopes to, you know, attain, we'll call it farm queen level at some point in their farming journey. Um, whether it's, you know, the, the people who have been at it for a while and they're just struggling with, you know, the everything of it. Whoever, whoever you want to have a, a message for or whatever, what, what do you have to leave us with that's motivational or inspirational along those lines? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, I think I definitely, for folks that are considering um, farming or starting out, like, I think it's a great life. I think that there's so many great opportunities. Um, I also, I guess I feel like I put a plug in that there's opportunities beyond being a farmer to be involved with food and farming in the food system. So I, I do feel like sometimes it's a little constricting to think like, oh, I have to, to be a farmer, I have to own a farm. Um, because once you do that, you have to, you have to pay a lot, you know, to keep that yes. going. <laughs> and so it really puts a lot of like financial day-to-day -day pressures on you. Whereas, you know, depending upon what part of the country you're in, there's lots of 
good farm jobs. There's lots of good food systems jobs. You know, there's jobs at aggregators, there's jobs in marketing. There's just a lot of other opportunities that will help you, you know, be involved in agriculture. So I think trying to think outside of the box and not feel like you have to track yourself into this like huge farmland purchase early in your career is really helpful. Um, and even though mm -hmm. I'm saying that even as somebody who bought a farm, we had been farming for over 10 years before we bought it. So we knew we knew what we were getting into. And even then it was kind of a shock <laughs> sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. And then I guess for people who have been farming for a long time, I, I think being flexible and kind to yourself because that's something I really see you know, as I've stepped back more from the full-time farming is how we tend to get trapped in our own little worlds and you see all the things that aren't going perfect. Um, but everybody's kind of dealing with the same thing. You know, everybody in your county or region is dealing with the same storm and probably struggling in the same weather and struggling in a lot of the same ways. And I think being gentle on ourselves is also important. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support our podcast by clicking the link in the description, by subscribing through your favorite podcast app, and by following us on your favorite social media platform.